Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome all of you today, especially those who... We have many different groups coming together today. It's wonderful. We have our meditation center and group leaders retreat going on. We have our living discipleship program membership training for residents at the village starts tonight. And we have our dear friends from India who... This is their last day. You leave tomorrow. So it's been such a joy to have you. And all of our guests and visitors today, welcome. We have a very beautiful reading today from Rays of the One Light by Swamiji. The Eternal Now. Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yoganandaji. When will I find God? Many devotees have asked this question. Because worldly goals require time, usually, for their fulfillment, we imagine time to be a factor on the spiritual path. And so it is, but only because we think it is. God is as much with us now as he will ever be. It is not he who needs to come to us. We need to come to him. And that process of coming is a matter of transforming our self-perception. In the Gospel of St. John, chapter 4, Jesus Christ says, Say not ye, There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are already white, ready to harvest. There is a practical teaching in these words, apart from their statement that we have God already and have only to realize that truth. Jesus is saying, lift up your eyes and look. To hold the eyes uplifted is the best position for a meditation, for the seat of superconsciousness lies at a point midway between the eyebrows in the frontal lobe of the brain, just behind that point. This point is known also as the Christ center. By lifting up your eyes and concentrating there, you will find it easier to enter the state of ecstasy. That is why saints in every religion have often been observed during states of deep inner communion with their eyes uplifted, focused on the inner light, white, as Jesus said, all ready to harvest. The Bhagavad Gita goes further into this meditative teaching. In the sixth chapter, it states... Holding the spine firm, the neck and head erect and motionless, let the yogi focus his eyes at the starting place of the nose, the point between the eyebrows. Let not his gaze roam elsewhere. In meditation, tell yourself, I have him already. I am alive forever in the divine light. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken. To mankind. Oh, oh. 
I won't need it. Good morning, everyone. I'll start with... Uh, actually, maybe I will take the glasses. <laughs> Always accept a little help from your friends. I'll start with a reading from Whispers from Eternity. These are beautiful prayer demands by Paramahansa Yoganandaji. Just as an aside, I would suggest that everyone get this book if you don't already have it. Keep it by your bedside and read one of these before you go to bed at night. Even better, read one for a whole week and memorize it. Because what this represents are, uh, I don't know how many, a couple of hundred prayer demands in here. And each one is like an avenue of consciousness that ends up in this sea of infinity in relationship, your individual relationship with God. So it's a very, very good practice. Today I'm going to read Demand for Opening of the Spiritual Eye the eastern star of wisdom. Bless me, Father, that I behold the eastern star of wisdom. May it shine before my human eyes as much in daylight as in darkness. Long my eyes were blinded by the tinsel glitter of materiality. Seeing things outwardly, I saw not the spirit behind and within them. I saw the mustard seed of matter, but spied not the oil of spirit that it contained. My third eye of wisdom is now opened. Oh, may it always be so. Let the gaze of my single eye of realization penetrate through every veil of matter to behold the infinite presence of Christ everywhere. Bless me that my sacred wise thoughts following this star of knowledge, lead me to the Christ in everything. Well, this is a really interesting topic today. First, I want to start by talking a little bit about the fact that we have the Indian contingent of our Ananda family here. And they've been here for several days. And one of the things that we talked about on Friday night when they gave their presentation and has become obvious to all of us is the interconnectedness of East and West. There really is no difference in our Ananda family. It's the same here currently. Uh, Dharmadas and Nirmala are leading a retreat in Siberia. It's the same in Siberia. It's the same in Delhi and Gorgon and Mumbai. It's the same in South America. It's the same everywhere. And we see it as our Ananda family, but it goes far beyond that. It's our family. We're all children of one God. And everyone is your brother and your sister, your father, your mother. Everyone is related to you. And in fact... Everyone is closer to you than the people that you think are close to you because those who you think are close to you 
you have the delusion of ego there, thinking, oh, these are related to me. Everyone is related to you. But I want to talk a little about this connection between East and West, because this Eastern star of wisdom is very, very important in it. You know, in the reading today, there was uh, the statement, lift up your eyes, the field is white for harvesting already. And the interpretation of that is that lift up your eyes in meditation to the center of Christ consciousness or the spiritual eye. And there you will harvest the consciousness of God. Well, one might think, well, this is just an interpretation, kind of an overlay on a simple words in the Bible that don't really mean that. But there is, in fact, a very deep connection between Jesus and India and the Eastern Star of Wisdom. First of all, Master tells us that at the time of the birth of Jesus, we read in the Bible that three wise men came from the East following the star that they saw in the East. As Swami has pointed out, it doesn't make sense logically. If you're coming from the East and you're looking at a star in the East, what direction are you going to go? You're going to go East, not West. But they had to come West because they were coming from India to Bethlehem. And so even though they were looking at the star in the east, following that star, they were moving west. And then that star came and it stopped over the little stable where Christ was born, where Jesus was born. Again, that doesn't make sense. Master said that what was really going on here is that the three wise men were Babaji, Lahiri Mahashaya, and Sri Yukteswar. And they were following not an outward star. They were following the inner star, the star of wisdom, the eastern star of wisdom. That's why I read that prayer demand from Master. Now that inner eastern star of wisdom we all have, it's in this point of the spiritual eye. This point, I'm going to talk more about it, but this is for the aspiring Seeker, the most important point in the body and the most important point of all. It's a little like this. If you were in prison seeking parole, what is the most important point in that prison? It's the exit door. (laughs) Now, maybe we're not in prison but we're in house arrest or planet arrest. And so being in planet arrest, we should be seeking the way out. We should be seeking the door. And that door lies right here. And so for the spiritual seeker, this is the most important point. Once we have achieved liberation, and I'll talk more about that, once we have achieved that, then the energy can go from here to the thousand-petaled lotus, and there we go beyond all creation into union with God. But here is where we find, first of all, union with God, and I'll explain that more. But coming back, 
So Babaji, Lahiri Mahashaya, and Sri Yukteswar, following the intuitive spiritual eye of wisdom, moved from India, came from India, and offered gifts to the Christ child, honored his honored his birth, in part to show that this was the birth of an avatar. But the story didn't end there. Remember that the last episode in Christ's life as he was growing up was he was in the temple teaching as a young man, 12 or 13 years old. And then, imagine this, the most important biography in the West skips the next 17 years. We go from 13 to 30 with no mention at all of what happened. Well, here's what happened. Christ went to India. He returned the visit of the three wise men. He went to study with them. He went to be with them. And there are many records in many different monasteries in India talking about Isa, who came from Palestine, came from Israel, and spent time there. And these records are available. You can read about them. But Jesus spent a number of years there, 17 years. And he was not only learning. I mean, these great masters don't really have to learn. They just kind of sharpen the tools a little bit. They've already got the tools. But he was with these great souls. He was not just learning. He was a teacher, a great teacher, highly, highly revered in India at the time. But then his mission was to come back. He knew what was going to be the end of that mission three years later, the crucifixion. But his mission was to come back and to bring these teachings to the West. Now, in India, these teachings are taught openly and clearly. That's why in the Gita, even though it's hard to explain, it's hard to understand, at least the teachings are clear there. In the West, Christ couldn't come and teach clearly because the environment, the culture did not allow it. There are many, many reasons to accept the fact that Jesus grew up as a kind of a outlying branch of Judaism, the Essenes. The Essenes actually mean eccentric or outside. It's a Greek word. And so the Essenes were a group of people that lived together and they had certain practices. And among those practices were many, many practices that are practiced in India. Vegetarianism, non-usage of animal products, non-killing, the the uh, not uh, not killing animals for the burnt sacrifice we hear about burnt sacrifice they actually made images um, with with uh, flour and water and frankincense and oil and they offered those into the fire again that same practice is from india so there was a lot of exchange in 
the east and west. And this had been going on far before the time of Jesus. But Jesus and his disciples, by and large, grew up as Essenes. Now, the Essenes were not welcome in Israel among the power structure. The two kind of primary branches were the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Jesus does not talk highly of those uh, groups of people, very largely speaking, because their minds and their hearts were completely closed. And Jesus, not only Jesus, but the Essenes, but then the Essenes have this great teacher, this miracle worker, this person who says he's the son of God. And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are threatened, deeply threatened by this. And so they have to get rid of him, and that results in the crucifixion of Jesus um, a short time later, only three years later. And so there's this, but what I'm talking about here is this relationship between East and West, because Jesus brought back the teachings of India and was teaching them in the language that he could use at that time. And among his 12 disciples, one of them he sent back to India. St. Thomas went back to India, uh, went to Kerala, and there's a large group, a very, very ancient and well-established group of Christians in southern India in Kerala. And uh, I won't go into it, but it's a very long-established tradition there. And so there's this mixing here of the East and West. Now, whether it's East and West, after all, this is a little bitty mud ball of a planet. So let's not get too caught up in, oh, it's India, or oh, it's Israel, and oh, the two mix, of course they do. What's more important is that these truths are eternal. These truths are deep and powerful spiritual truths. And so here we're talking about the Eastern teaching of meditation and lifting up the eyes in meditation. Now, talking about this spiritual eye, it has many terms that can be used. It can be called the spiritual eye, the point between the eyebrows, the Christ consciousness center, the Christ center, the kutasta chaitanya. The, so there are many different words to describe it, but let me talk about it because I could list, we could go on a long time, we could list a dozen different aspects that are here at this highest point. First of all, physiologically. Physiologically, this is at the forefront of the skull and the brain. And so, physiologically, this is the prefrontal lobes. And now with brain studies and imaging, we can see that when a person meditates, this area lights up. And it actually changes the structure of the brain. You grow more brain cells, more nerve cells at that point. You are able to have the nerve circuits light that up more easily. And that becomes more um, 
one could say more powerful in the brain structure and weakening the kind of reptilian brain or the primate brain that lies behind, weakening fear, weakening anxiety, weakening anger, all of those primitive reactions and thoughts that are deeper in the brain structure are are lessened because we're drawing energy away from that and we're bringing it to the highest center. But I don't want to dwell just on the brain lest there's a current fallacy going on that the brain is the producer of consciousness. It isn't the producer. It's the, it's the uh, kind of channeling uh, aspect of consciousness. We have consciousness and that, uh, that consciousness is channeled through the brain. In fact, there's a theory of thought that the brain actually is not the producer of consciousness, it's the inhibitor or the governor of consciousness because the amount of information available to us would be overwhelming until we're able to handle and process that much. So the brain allows only a little bit to come in at a time. Again, we could talk about this for a long time, but it's only one part of this. So it's the fore part of the brain. But spiritually, it is the point at which we will achieve Christ consciousness or Krishna consciousness. Now that is a very, very important spiritual state. In the Bible it says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus says that. And Christian fanatics have used that to say, see, you can't get into heaven unless you're a believer in Jesus. Not only a believer in Jesus, you've got to believe in him in my way. Because if you believe in him any other way, then you still can't get into heaven. Very, it must be a very, very small heaven up there for, for those people. What the real meaning of that is Master explained, is that in order to come into union with God beyond creation, we first must come into union with God in creation. And the, the aspect of God in creation is called Krishna consciousness or Christ consciousness. What that means is that Every particle, every atom, every subatomic particle has at its core the essence of God. Lahiri explained that God is pure still consciousness, just one. And then he takes that still consciousness and begins to vibrate a small part. Lahiri said, one hundredth, one percent, one hundredth of a part of consciousness he puts into vibration. And that vibration, by taking the one and make it seem as if it's polarized, it becomes many. And so that produces the outer universe. And so that production of the outer universe still has the consciousness of God within it. 
And so every atom, every person, every planet, every star, every animal, tree, everything, everything has within it this still aspect of God, which is the essence. And we can't get to the still aspect without stilling our minds sufficiently to see that God is also in everything in creation. So that understanding, more than understanding, understanding is of the mind. This is the realization. The realization that God is in everything. And the secret of that is if God is in everything, you know who he's in? He's in you. If God is everything, who are you? You're God. And when that comes as a true realization, then we have Christ consciousness or Krishna consciousness. And we see the whole of creation as not separate, but as one, in essence at least. So that's part of the reason that we concentrate here, because this is the point at which we're going to realize that. Why, as Swami said in the reading today, this is the point of superconsciousness. It's the point of intuition. Intuition is the soul's way of knowing. Superconsciousness is the soul's way of knowing. Again, in creation, we are not the body and personality. We are the soul. And that soul has had many, many, many incarnations, millions and millions of incarnations. But that's why I didn't want to talk too much about the brain because you talk too much about the brain, you think the brain produces consciousness. But there are many, many instances of people being outside of their body and still being conscious, of being dead and still being conscious, of there's a beautiful book called um, Proof of, of Heaven about a neuroscientist whose brain was basically eaten away by a disease. He didn't have any brain function at all. No brain function at all. And he was highly, he was more conscious in that state than he had ever been in his living, waking state. So we have consciousness outside and that consciousness comes, that's the soul's way of knowing. So think of the soul as like a globe of light that just is currently inhabiting the body for a little while. And of course, if it wants to pick up something, it has to have a hand to pick it up. If it wants to move blood around, It has to have a heart or a pump to move that blood around. And if it wants to process sensory input and work in logical ways, it needs a brain in order to do that. But these are all tools of the soul. But the higher tool of the soul is intuition. And intuition awakens when we bring our consciousness here. And so, Master, we we had a charming... A uh, little part of our uh, sharing with the Indians on uh, Friday night. One of them said that they had gone to a very highly respected astrologer in India and were, was told that this is the age of electronic communication. Right now we have the cell phones, but coming very quickly, 
the kind of communication will be intuitive. You won't need your cell phone. And that's in a higher age. You'll be able to communicate intuitively. And she gave many examples of how she'd been experiencing that here at Ananda. Devi and I experience it all the time. We, when we teach together, it's a little bit of a danger to go second. <laughs> because the person going first grabs all the goodies. <clears throat> they get the stories, they get the examples. And Davy says, because I often have to go first, she says, she kind of mentally checks off, oh, not that one, oh, not that one. We were talking, giving a, a kind of a talk for Indian television, and I was taking all of her stories. This was a talk on miracles. She said it would be a miracle if I didn't take something that she was thinking about. Well, Master called it playing walkie-talkie with his disciples. He knew every thought of every disciple that there that he had. He knew every thought of everyone, but because the disciples had opened themselves, asked for his blessing, then he worked with them in that way. And the more advanced the disciples, what does that mean? The more energy up here at the spiritual eye, the more, one could say, the more of their being is centered so that specific gravity comes not in the lower chakras but in the higher chakras and comes up here. The more people are up there, the more they're intuitive. And Master, that's also a point of protection. One time, Dr. Lewis, his first disciple in America, was sailing. In, he lived in Boston. And he was sailing there. And a big storm, a squall came up. And very quickly, the boat, the sailboat that he was in looked like it was going to capsize and he called out for Master. Master was in Los Angeles at that time and he was actually, interestingly enough, he was reading something from Joseph Conrad about the sea, reading out loud. And he was with another disciple and all of a sudden he stopped and he started walking back and forth. He said, doctor's in trouble, serious trouble I tell you. Doctor's in trouble and he put his mind here. Well, his mind already was there. But for our benefit, he pretended to put his mind there. And then the squall settled down and doctor was able to, to get back to the pier safely. And when he arrived home, the phone rang just as he was coming in the house. And he picked up the phone and it was master at the other end. Master said, came close to getting wet, didn't you, doctor? (laughs) Well, that's the protection of the guru. See, when we connect, this is also the seat of the guru in the interpretation of the Bhagavad Gita. Each of the characters, each of the Pandavas, is one of the different chakras. And they go up the chakras, and when you come here, This is Krishna. And so Krishna, or whatever your master is, resides at this point in the body. That means 
basically the highest vibration. That which is united with Christ resides here. And so if we're in difficulty, put your energy there and call to God, call to Master, call to Krishna, whoever you are connected with, if you call at that point, then you receive an instantaneous blessing and you will receive protection. But activate these things. Live with them. Bring your consciousness more here. Now I want to end with this thought that remember when I began talking about that Lahiri said that there was still consciousness of God and that that became dynamic by God taking a small portion and putting it into vibration. This is the point in the body, in the chakras, the astral body, that is still enough so that at this point when our consciousness is here and held here, it is still enough so that we can perceive our unity with God. As the consciousness descends, the rate of vibration descends. So Lahiri actually put numbers to this. This is 0 to 9, this is 10, this is 100, this is 1,000, 10,000, and 100,000. Now, as vibration becomes more and more restless, duality becomes more and more apparent or or overwhelming or absorbing to the consciousness. So we have to bring our consciousness in and up the chakras. This is one of the basic teachings of our path and of Raja Yoga. So meditation, one could almost define meditation as bringing the energy, the life force in the body, to the point between the eyebrows and holding it there. And if you can do that, very, very simple. Simple to say, not simple to do, but simple to say. If you can hold your concentration at the point between the eyebrows and hold it there long enough, you will go into higher states of intuitive perception of your unity with God. Now that's about as simple of a explanation of the spiritual path as one can get. Sri Yukteswar said, God is simple. All else is complex. Holding the consciousness here in concept is simple. All else is complex. So our path is to find the eastern star of wisdom which resides here, to become absorbed in that light. And when we become absorbed in that light, that takes us on a journey to the Christ child that resides within us, the Christ consciousness that resides within each of us. And when we can merge into that, then it is through that that we will find God. Then, we're given a divine mission to share that with everyone. God bless you. We're going to take up our offering and pray, but I first I want to say 
We're so happy Krishna told us that the, all of our Indian guests are going to come and sing with the... Some people look a little surprised. <laughs> if, you, if you're part of... If you've learned the song, you can come up. But I just wanted those who are watching us online all the beautiful dear faces that you'll be seeing. And these are our Indian pilgrims who have come from all over India. These are people that are deeply involved with our work at our different centers there. And they're our ambassadors from India going back. And uh, so as they sing, be sending them your love and blessings.